Truth Still Matters, episode number 11. Come one, come all. Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. Truth Still Matters. The human person is made for truth. Despite this dictatorship of relativism, we breathe every day. This podcast exists in the stream of the new evangelization championed by Pope John Paul the Great and continue with Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. We will have the opportunity to learn and reflect on the timeless truths revealed by God and deposited in the Catholic Church. If you're looking for apologetics or theology that can be applied to your life right now, you've found a new home. Stop drowning in the world of opinion and embrace yourselves for truth still matters. You and I have made it back for another episode of Truth Still Matters. There's a question that I always seem to get around Christmas time. And the question is this. When was Jesus born? Many of the scholars tell us that Jesus was born around the year 4 BC. And you and I know that BC means before Christ. And the question is this, how can Jesus be born in BC? How can Jesus be born before himself? This podcast will answer. The promised Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God is with us. This Christmas season and any Christmas season should never be taken for granted because we celebrate God breaking into human history in an unprecedented way. As Steve Ray says in his DVD series, The Footprints of God, the Father sends the Son and that event which happens in the fullness of time splits time in half into BC and AD. And that's where we're going to start with this podcast. This podcast will actually cover two things, the when of Jesus and the who. <laughs> Are you excited? I'm excited. Let's get right into this. Now, you and I know, for the most part, that BC means before Christ. Now, many of us think that AD means after Christ, or after the death, but AD is an abbreviation for a Latin term, Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. And many scholars, most scholars, agree. There's a general consensus that Jesus was born approximately around 4 BC. BC meaning before Christ. And the question that stated at the beginning of the show, how can Jesus be born before himself? Right? 
I get this question every year, and every year I have to look up the answer. So I said, you know what? Let me do a vodcast so I can record it, and I won't have to look it up anymore. I can just play the show. You can just play the show, and make sure you tell everyone else to play the show. <laughs> All right, let's get let's get going. Okay, now dates. Absolute certainty is impossible as to the exact date of Christ's nativity. Absolute certainty as far as the, the month, the, the date, uh, and the year. Absolute certainty escapes us. And this is not, um, not anything that should scare us. This is not anything that we should be concerned of. Okay, Because we can attain um, extreme confidence on the year. We have to always keep this in mind. That our concern about um, the preciseness of dates with respect to chronicling history was not the hang-up or the concerns of the ancients. That's our hang-up. And many times we try to read our concerns back into history and we want to downplay or um, uh, kind of raise ourselves up in being superior to them because they didn't have our same hang-ups. And we have to just keep that in mind that those are our hang-ups and not theirs. And in order to understand what their concerns were, we have to enter into their uh, atmosphere, their their worldview. Okay, and the preciseness of the dates did not concern them and should not concern us. But see, the reason why those dates concern us is because that is what roots reality and history and truth. And reality and truth is not rooted on, on in being able to uh, obtain the exact certain date. But the ancients were concerned in putting forth real events. And so let us concern ourselves with the real events. What happened? Now, the Christian era, meaning how we date B.C. and A.D., that was determined by a monk, Dionysius the Small, in the 6th century. And he came up with the Christian, the Christian era, sorry, occurring in the year 754 of the foundation of Rome. Now, Dionysius was commissioned by the emperor to change the dating systems. He wanted something centered around Christ. And there was a kind of pressure applied to Dionysius to come up with this event. And so with this pressure, in combination with having to juggle uh, the differences between calendars, the Jewish calendar, the Roman calendar, and the Greek calendar, we come up, well, Dionysius came up with the date, December 25th of the year of Rome, 753. Now, the problem with this was that there were errors in his calculation due to the various calendars he was, for the lack of a better term, homogenizing, and the pressure that was being applied to him from up top, from the emperor. He has the Christian era beginning too late. Now, how do we know that? Well, we do know from the gospel accounts that Jesus was born under the reign of Herod. Okay? As it says in Matthew 21. 2-1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east under Herod the king, Herod the Great. Now, Josephus, which is a Jewish historian, lets us know that Herod the Great died approximately around March or April 750. 
Now, where does that leave us? The dating of Jesus' birth is at least four years too late. Remember the other slide. Jesus being born, 753, right? Herod, according to Josephus, was dead at 750. And we know that Jesus was born during the reign. So there's no way that Jesus could be born after the reign of Herod. And that's what the years 753, 754 are dictating for us. So we know that that at least was a four-year error there. And depending on how you date the events of Jesus' nativity, no, his trip to Bethlehem, well, not his trip, but his trip in Mary's womb to Bethlehem and their stay there and then their escape and then, and then the, the visitation of the Magi and the shepherds and how they had to flee there to go into Egypt and how long did they stay in Egypt and then they had to come back out of Egypt, God calling them out of Egypt. Depending on how you date those events, it could be some scholars even say, you know what, maybe even six, you know, a six to four B.C. So we know at least there's a four-year discrepancy. And that's how we come to Jesus being born for at least 4 BC, before himself. Is he born before himself? Absolutely not. This is a dating issue, okay? And, you know, we shouldn't throw Dionysius under the bus here because we owe a huge gratitude to all of the monks and Dionysius is a monk included in that group that uh, preserved the, the scripture and passed that down to us. Okay, but there are errors. Now, these errors don't concern what God has intended to be revealed in faith and morals. Okay, what's affirmed here? That the word became flesh in history. Now, we can debate on when that was. The fact is, it happened in history. We have the gospel that attests to it. We have Josephus, who is a Jewish, non-believing historical source, that attests to the fact that Jesus was real. And that's what you and I should be concerned of. That's what should lift our hearts in this Advent and eventually Christmas season. And remember that the liturgical seasons of the church are not for us to enter into for a time and then forget. These liturgical seasons are meant to uh, provide an opportunity for us as a community, as a church, to enter into a various area of the life of Christ, but to, <clears throat> but to have that life of Jesus affect the way we live every day of every year. He came 1,000, 2,000, sorry, 2,000 years ago. And he's coming again. And oftentimes we overlook how he comes to us every day. He stands at the door of our hearts knocking. The question is, do you and I have the faith? Are we expecting his coming? Are we expecting his arrival? That our lives might be changed. Because when we open up to the arrival of Jesus, we're not just opening up to a mere historical character. We are opening up to the God-man. We are opening up to the uniqueness of Jesus. The incarnation, which is the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh. This is the dogma 
of our faith. What's the dogma? That which has been revealed by God and defined by the church. What is the dogma of the incarnation? This is the second person of the Trinity that has two natures. He's fully human or fully man. And remember, when the church uses man, she is referring to the human nature. Have you ever noticed how the church uses man for everything? And, and sometimes women get offended that the church uses man for everything. Are you excluding females? The church has a specific meaning when she uses man. She means human nature, which includes male and female. Okay, I say all that to say that when we say that Jesus was 100% man, we're referring to his human nature. And then he has another nature, divine nature. And this is known as the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union? Yes, hypostatic union. What does hypostasis mean? That's where we get hypostatic from. Hypostasis is the Greek for person. So in other words, when I speak of the hypostatic union, I'm talking about the person union. Person union, the second person of the Trinity. And within the second person of the Trinity, you have two natures that are inseparable. And they don't mix with each other. They don't reduce each other. But they are united and contained within the one person, the second person of the Trinity. Fully God and fully man, as the ancient councils tell us. And this is not just an academic exercise. This was worked out by the Holy Spirit guiding and leading the church into all truth that you and I may meet a real and alive person in Christ. Because when we meet him, he brings us to the Father. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. We become partakers of the divine nature. And now we can do the impossible. We can love our enemies. We can forgive. We cannot beat ourselves up when we constantly sin and strive. We can see ourselves as God sees us, which is uh, an heir to the throne. Ah, and it's the grace of God that enables us to see that. Now, there are many heresies that people fall into and I, I would just like to focus on one because many people fall into this heresy and don't know it and don't know it let's look at it Nestorianism is a heresy that many people fall into and they fall into it because they want to affirm the humanity of Jesus and that's a good thing to affirm the humanity of Jesus but when you affirm the humanity of Jesus, you have to know that you're affirming his human nature, which means he, he was like us in all things, right? As the scripture tells us, except sin. He had an intellect. He had a will. He had a soul. He had a body. But the subject of that, the subject of his nature was one person, okay? Christ as a human person joined to the divine person of God's son. That's the heresy. And many people don't see that. Many people think when you say that Jesus is not a human person, oh my goodness, you're denying the humanity of Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. Ah, amen. He is fully God and fully man. Human nature. But there's a distinction between human nature and human person. Now, you're not going to find that distinction if you go look it up in dictionary.com. But when you dig into the treasure and the wisdom of the church, there has always been a distinction between person and nature. That is what enables us to explain the Trinity without sounding like a baffling idiot. We say three in one. People say that's a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction. God is three in a different way than he's one. Three persons, one nature. Now, yes, the Trinity goes beyond our reasoning, but it's not contradictory. The hypostatic union 
goes beyond our reasoning, but it is not contradictory at all. Jesus, one person, two natures. What's the difference between person and nature? Okay, so let me give you a couple of common everyday examples. I have a brain. I have an intellect. I have a will. That's a part of my nature. That's what enables me to do what I can do. But my brain is not thinking. I use my brain to think, but guess who's thinking? Me, the inner self, the person, Hubert Sanders. I'm thinking. That's why when I was growing up and I didn't study <clears throat> well for a test, I didn't perform well. My parents didn't get mad at my brain. They didn't get mad at my nature. They got mad at me because I have total possession of my nature. I didn't use my brain in the way that I should have. That's everyday common sense. You and I know that there's a distinction between person and nature. There's no doubt about it. Jesus has 100% human nature, but he is not a human person. The subject of that divine nature, the subject of that human nature is the second person of the Trinity. That is what enables us to say that God died on the cross. God felt human emotion. God walked on water. God forgave sins. And he continues to forgive sins. So let's, we have to keep our doctrine state straight so that we might encounter the clear vision of who and what Jesus is. Christ's humanity has no other subject than the divine person of the Son of God. And that's coming right out of the catechism of the Catholic Church. There is a distinction between person and nature. Nature answers the what question. The person answers the who question. If I were to ask you, what am I? You would say in general terms, I'm a human being. But if I asked you who I am, you would change the answer. Why? Because there is an intuitive difference. You understand an intuitive difference between nature and person. That's why you give a different answer. When I ask you who, it's not enough to say I'm a human being. You have to tell me my name. And I'm Hubert Sanders, a child of God, a sinner who is constantly opening up to God's grace and his truth. And the only reason that I'm able to open up is because he has started a great work in me. He's continuing it and I trust that he's going to finish it. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas time. And let us not forget that when we unite ourselves to Christ, by his grace, his entire family opens up to us. So let's not to forget the intercession of St. Nicholas, who's a brother in Christ, whom we get Santa Claus from, but he is a true saint and we can ask him for his intercession that we might receive the true and greatest and most certain gift of all time. It is in Christ that we move, live, and have our being. It is in Christ that we receive every spiritual blessing. May God bless you and keep you all the days of your life.